2: even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Now on the Daily Mix Show.
1: Damn, some birds aren't meant to be caged. Yet, here we are, butt naked, eating soggy bologna sandwiches. Figure it's time to get busy living and get busy winning.
2: Let's play Cellmates! Cellmates is the game on the Daily Mig show where lawbreakers become game changers. And all week long, we have been playing for Foo Fighters tickets. That show is going down at T-Mobile Park on Sunday, August 18th. Let's meet our cellmates. We have Tom in Olympia. Tom, what was your run-in with the law?
3: Well, uh, when I was younger, I took a bunch of mushrooms one day and i i ended up getting uh, really really high and um, my friends who i was with were having trouble keeping me from running away from them and taking my clothes off and running around naked and crawling underneath people's cars and so they decided to put ankle cuffs on me oh my gosh <laughs>
4: Well, basically, you've become a toddler on mushrooms.
3: (laughs) Run around naked. Yeah. Hiding under cars. Yes. Now, I don't remember that happening. Um, I just remember waking up uh, at a friend's house on top of a heater vent. Kind of, you know, not quite. uh, I I was out of sorts, I guess you'd say. And... um, and then I had my, I ended up having my friend who I was at his house, um, I put my legs up on a log and I had him take an axe and chop through the ankle cuffs because nobody, you know, there was no key. And then I had to call my mom and have my mom take me to the police station or actually the sheriff's department and, um, have them take the ankle cuffs off me. And when I did that, the sheriff, who did it just said, you know, I'm not even going to ask you any questions.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, I would be panicked giving my friend an axe and telling them to chop At least he
4: waited till the day after the mushrooms. Doing that on mushrooms would have been the worst idea ever.
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, it wasn't the day after.
3: No, it was the same day. Oh, I thought it was the day after. Right. No, no. When I because I came down from my trip you know, that same day and so here I am, you know, oh. six hours later or whatever, and I've got ankle cups on and I gotta I got I gotta do something. I can't walk anywhere.
2: <laughs> that is unreal, Tom. Thank Tom, you so much. You have the best friends in
3: the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we also have cellmate yeah, no You know Danny oh, and Kirkland.
4: Hey how's it going?
2: Hello Danny it's going great. What was your run in with the law?
5: So I'll start by saying, uh, I work in aerospace and, uh, like in 2017, uh, I wanted to work, you know, for SpaceX, uh, or, you know, Blue Origin. Yeah. Or sorry, not, not Blue Origin, but SpaceX, just a boring company or whatever. And a lot of people don't know, but Elon Musk, he got to start by like cold calling CEOs. So I decided, well, I saw that he did a TED Talk in Portland the previous day and there was a SpaceX launch. Well, there's a SpaceX satellite factory here in Bellevue, and I figured he might actually be there rather than in Florida. So I showed up there with a bottle of whiskey and some cigars, and they were kind of like, well, what are you doing here? He's not here. And I was like, yeah, he is, because he did a TED Talk yesterday so in Portland, so I'm sure he's here and not in Florida. They kind of looked at me weird, and they were like, all right, well, you have to wait, but off the property. And so as people were walking by, I kind of was like, hey, man, is Elon in there, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of people kind of confirmed it. Well, this guy I had been talking to in, like, a SpaceX kind of sweatsuit comes out and goes, if you talk to anybody again, I'm going to arrest you. And I was like, uh-oh. Well, little did I know, this launch was, like, the first launch they did for the Air Force, and it was, like, some spy satellite. And after this, I started noticing cars sitting outside of my house at, like, 2 in the morning in Burien. Turns out I ended up on a federal watch list. Wow. Uh, They didn't know if I was, like, a terrorist or, like, you know, the next Timothy McVeigh or whatever, because I'm former military. And this lasted for about six months. And then I think they figured out that I wasn't, and they moved along.
4: Which is crazy. You show up to the station with a bottle of whiskey and cigars and you're getting hired.
2: Yeah. Right? That's what I figured, man. So innocent. Well, Steve, based on these two stories, who do you think should go first in the game of Cellmates? Both of these are
4: great. This is amazing. You know what, though? I still love the visual of a man with ankle cuffs and a log (laughs) and an axe on mushrooms. Let's go with Tom and Olympia first.
2: All right. And, uh... (laughs) To my cellmates today. I hope you guys are brushed up on your Seahawks trivia, because we are going to go that direction this morning. Going with Tom and Olympia to start things off, under Pete Carroll, the Seahawks won their first Super Bowl on February 2nd, 2014. Which team did they defeat 43-8? to The
3: Broncos.
2: Danny and Kirkland, true or false? Former Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll has a master's degree in physical education. True. Tom and Olympia, which local family was the original majority owner of the Seattle Seahawks?
3: Oh, jeez! The original family. Oh God! Oh, I do not know the answer oh, to man. this question.
2: Do I ask Danny the question? Okay, no. Nope, <laughs> nope. All right, Danny, Danny and Kirkland, the Seahawks were an expansion team in 1976, along with what other team?
5: Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Boom! Nice job, Danny. Nice work, Danny.
2: Aww. You won the tickets. Did you, Did you know which family, which local family, was the original majority owner of the Seahawks? I did not, but I'm a Vikings fan, and they were in our
5: division, so I knew what year the Buccaneers came in. So nice. I'm actually
4: pretty glad that. Yeah. What a random way to remember that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, just so everyone knows, it, it was, was the Nordstrom family. The Nordstrom. Family. Nordstrom. The
2: yeah. Nordstrom. <laughs> there you go. Well, congratulations, Danny in Kirkland. That was a great, great cellmate. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. That's going down in history. Speaking of the Seahawks, we're fired up. We have another Seahawk opportunity to talk with one of uh, the great Seahawk players. Is he on hold already, yeah. by chance? Why don't we just go right into him? Let's do it. You know, instead of playing a song, let's just go right into it. Let's just let's just change things up, there, Taryn, because this guy we shouldn't keep him waiting, and he's pretty damn phenomenal. He won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. He's one of the most beloved Seahawks of all time, and one of my favorite dudes as well. Please welcome to the show, Luke Wilson. Luke,
6: what's up? What's up? How are you doing? Oh, dude, we're fired up to have you on. I- I'm excited. It's been a minute, man. Niggs, how's things? Things are good. I have a quick question before we get
4: into the Pete Carroll stuff. Um, yeah. Is our, like, you know, our statue of limitations gone now that we can talk about the the greatest Seahawks season where we got to play hockey together every week?
6: It's gone, yes. We can chat about it. So that just, was all time.
4: We we had to keep this under wraps because, obviously, Luke would have got in trouble, I believe, at the time. He was playing on the Seahawks. And every Tuesday on their day off, we we luckily, thanks to like guys like Jamie Jamie Huscroft over at Snow King Hockey, we had ice time reserved for what was just shooting the puck around in the eyes of the Seahawk players and the team and the coaches. But what we really were having was full-on games while with Luke <laughs> and Drew Nowak, who was on the offensive line, also played hockey. And it was the best time. My boys and the donkeys, other hockey players, we all got together every Tuesday afternoon and just hung out with Luke Wilson and Drew and played hockey games. It was so much fun. You know what's
6: funny to me is I tell people that story all the time. They look at me like I'm insane. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but what kind of uh, let's let's say extinguish that flame? Because I remember me and Drew heading out there every Tuesday, and it was a blast, you know. And I kind of knew I shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And then the damn college kids came back for Christmas break. So, anyways, for those of you listening, me and Drew Nowak were going out there. Migs playing goalie. Everyone's having a blast. And then Christmas break happens. The college kids came. And all of a sudden, the level of intensity started yeah. to go through the roof. And I remember I ate a puck off my ankle. Yes. And it was like a moment where a kid took a slap shot, hit my ankle, and I just sat there for like two seconds before I moved anything. It was like, please don't be hurt. <laughs> Nothing was hurt. You know, I didn't even think I got a bruise. It just hit me in the right part of the skate. But I remember after in the locker room being like, man, I think that this has evolved from a fun shoot around to a bit of a competitive ordeal, and that was kind of the end of that. But I, that was some fun times.
4: Dude, I remember that because for a while, it was just like me and a bunch of my donkey buddies. And we're all just, you know, no one's no one's going to, none of us are being tryhards in this situation. We're all just having fun. We understand that you guys are professional athletes, but then, you're right, I forgot about that. There were a bunch of college kids, which good kids, but I think they were just trying to prove themselves, and it's just like, dude, what are you trying to prove? We're just trying yeah, to have fun, and it was so much fun, like, hanging in the locker room, hearing some of the stories.
6: It was just such a cool vibe. Yeah, it was a good time, and I think that you nailed it. Like the hockey locker room, I've been a part of a lot of different locker rooms, but the hockey locker room is always a special one because it's, I mean, it's story time all the time. You know, it's not like uh, football. You're kind of getting ready to go to like a very physical battle. And obviously hockey is a battle, but not the level we were playing. Right. And uh, it's just, a. it was a good time. And I think myself and drew no really uh, kind of helped us mentally decompress a little bit, and enjoy our lives in the middle of a tough season.
4: And Drew ended up after retiring. Now he's back home and he's a beer league beauty. He plays on beer league hockey teams. He sends me pictures of him like winning championships. I'm like, this is
6: hilarious. (laughs) I can see that. He's a family man right now. I bet that's his, uh, his go-to going out there. I was shocked. Again, Drew didn't have the longest career with us, which I thought he got screwed over a little bit, but uh, he was a big boy and boy, was he smooth on the ice. I remember (sighs) when he first came out there, So, being Canadian and I played pretty high level my whole youth, I was like, this kid's going to be a typical American hockey guy, (laughs) probably good locally, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, he got out there, and I was like, oh my God, like Wisconsin, which is where he's from, I guess really does have good hockey players. This kid can rip. His slap shot.
4: His slap shot was like a bullet.
6: Yes. Yes, I remember that pretty wild.
2: We're chatting with Luke Wilson who played five seasons with the Seahawks won a Super Bowl but honestly was there ever any chance of you going professional in the hockey world because it sounds like you had some mad skills my friend.
6: Uh, I don't think so you know as a kid that was kind of the dream and then uh, probably midway through high school it kind of became a little more baseball football uh, for me and that was that. I, uh, I still you know do like watching hockey here and there i don't watch it very consistently but if there's a big game on i'll uh, tune in and i'm I'm currently just for the football season live in the toronto area so as you can imagine there's quite a bit of hockey chat so i like to keep abreast of what's going on but yeah baseball football was kind of more my jam as i got older
4: And, Luke, we wanted to have you on, obviously, with the news of Pete Carroll yesterday. 14 seasons, no longer going to be the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And, obviously, you were coached by Pete from the – from the really, from your start in the NFL and won a Super Bowl with Pete. And we're just loving to hear, like, some stories. And, like, we had Mondre G, former coach, assistant coach for the Seahawks. He was sharing some great stories about Pete Carroll earlier this morning. And just love to hear, like, your first thoughts when you heard, okay, Pete's done. What are some of those memories that just, like, kind of instantly got triggered in your head uh, being a player under Pete's regime?
6: Honestly, I had so many that it's hard to like pinpoint. And I was sitting here thinking before you called here this morning, I'm like, what are some of the ones like there's a few that I always go to, but there's so many that I just, you know, have stored in the back of my head. So I'll kind of go a few that a lot of them for me was when I was younger. And one of the ones I love telling is I got drafted here in 2013 you know, we start that year 11-1. This is a Super Bowl season. We end up 13 through. We have the one seed. And, I mean, I'm swimming. You're a rookie. I was playing on a veteran team. Like, clearly the goal was to win the Super Bowl. We all knew we had the talent, et cetera. And the last game of the season, this would have been, you know, probably a few days before New Year's, um, we play the Rams at home. And we actually have to win that game because if we would have lost it, I believe my memory is correct. We would have ended up 12 and four, but the Niners were also 12 and four and we would have lost out on the tiebreaker. So if we, we go into this final game, it's still a big ordeal. Everyone in Seattle knows the Rams have given us problems since the dawn of time, it <laughs> feels like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we end up winning late in the game, I get a bit of an ankle sprain and I'm not sure how bad it is. I got to go do all the tests and I- I'm slightly worried that I'm going to miss next week. It's Seattle. It's now January. We got the one seed. We have a buy and, uh, I'm up there super early to go get treatment or whatever the Monday or the, I think anyway, it was Monday morning, the day after the game. And, uh, I'm walking up and I think, makes you've been there, but our cafeteria is on the second floor at the VMAC there in Renton. And I don't know Pete like I do now. Again, I'm a rookie. I've been there since April and there's hardly anyone in the facility. And I'm walking by Pete and Pete is shaking. We're on the stairwell. I'm going to the cafeteria. He's coming down to the locker room. He's shaking with excitement. And I look up and I'm like wiping my eyes. I haven't seen the sun in a month because we're in Seattle, you know, and I'm. it's the end of the year <laughs> I got a bum ankle, and Pete Carroll is shaking with excitement. And I say, he says, morning, Lucas, morning, coach. Like, how's it going? You know, just general hello. And he just looks at me, and he's, like, salivating, and he says, ready to rock and roll, and zips by me. (laughs) And I remember sitting there, like, eating breakfast before treatment and thinking to myself, if this guy, I don't know how old he was in – He's seventy three now, so let's say he was sixty years old then, uh, or six, whatever, sixty three. If this guy at sixty three can have this much energy at six a.m. in the morning, when we don't even have a team to play, you know, we don't. We're in a bye week theoretically here. We have no one to play. We have nothing going on that weekend. It's six a.m. in the morning. And he's that fired up about this day, about the zest, about this team, about the situation, enjoying it that much. What the hell am I doing here as a 23-year-old sitting there wiping, you know, the sleep out of my eyes being a, you know what, about my ankle? And that kind of like weird moment for me just like changed my whole outlook on a lot of, aspects of my life both on the field and off the field so that to me was one moment again if you ask Pete I don't think he'd even remember it but he just lived that way like he lived this energetic positive lifestyle and I think that for all the guys who were able to spend a, a long time with Pete you know for me it was seven years I think we all would have some sort of story about how he's just changed how we generally live our lives from just watching him and the fun and the excitement and everything that he kind of did on a day-to-day
7: basis.
4: Right, that's the vibe I was getting when I was to a little bit of KJ Wright's podcast, which your episode when you were on there. I highly recommend people checking out. It was, it was an incredible listen, uh, but he was talking about how, you know, Pete was more than just a coach, but also kind of like a father figure. And I was thinking about you because you, in a, in a fun way, but you push people's buttons in a good way. Like you, you're always kind of questioning things and, 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 you know, you, you're not just someone just be like, okay, sounds good. Did you ever have moments with Pete where it was like that fatherly figure, kind of like where he's rolling his eyes, and just like, oh, man, Luke, Luke, you, you're giving me a headache.
6: I, You know what? To be honest with you, I did not. I think Pete has a little bit of, uh, it's probably a lot more polished than I am, but I think Pete's on the same vibe as me. Maybe not as wacky in some <laughs> things, but I think Pete really would see me kind of doing those things, pushing a few buttons, and he might have got a kick out of himself. Again, that's just a hunch here, Mig. But uh, I think Pete kind of gave me carte blanche when it came to being a bit strange in a couple of the questions that I would raise here and there, both about football and not about football, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, And with the KJ thing, again, KJ's a good friend of mine, a guy that I played with for a long time and just have a tremendous amount of respect for. And I, I also think that part of why you see this love and outpouring from Pete or for Pete, from a lot of the former players, again, talking about guys like KJ that have played for him for years, is that when you leave college or you leave a different organization, the vast majority of football is very, very military style. Like, I remember sitting there, and I did not go to a big-time football program, but it was just like everything was a struggle, and I was falling in line and standing in line and. You know, very dictatorship vibe. That's generally how the NFL and football is as far as your coaches go. You show up to Seattle, and you got this iconic head coach who's won three national championships at USC. I mean, I think he was 97-19. and 19. That was his record in, at USC, which is, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're blaring Snoop Dogg music at practice. He's sprinting all over the field, and it's like you make a good play, and he's the happiest guy for you. He he is so thrilled not only for the team but for you as an individual. It's not like good job, you did your own job. It's like, man, what a all the effort, all the things, all the adversity in your life that you went through just to be able to be in this moment and for you to make the play, like this is the greatest thing of all time. And, it's like, and it just created this atmosphere that was so much fun to play in. And, and that was another kind of thing I just want to share about my former coach is that he just created this culture that you wanted to be in. And it was just a very competitive, very fierce. Like, I do not not want to make this sound like it was not a uh, a very intense culture because, I mean, we all saw Legion Boom. We all saw him. You know, those boys are coming down and playing very intense. But uh, it was still at the same time, just something electric to be in.
4: And I think, I feel like that might be, and I mean, I'm answering for you, but I feel like that's a big part of why so many players, when they leave Seattle, eventually they seem like they either want to come back as a player or just come back and be around that atmosphere after they're done playing football.
6: Yes. Uh, you know, and I kind of lived that firsthand. I My sixth year, I ended up signing in Detroit. And... I'm from the Windsor area, which is, you know, I grew up 10 minutes from the border of Detroit. Uh, Ford Field or the Lions play is a 20-minute drive from my childhood home. So I'm all excited. I'm like, hey, you know, new opportunity. Um, And here we go. Matt Patricia was the head coach then. And uh, I remember sitting there like later in the year, and we were 6-10. and Everything was just like, we were getting cussed at all the time. Everything was just very, very grueling. It was intentionally like the world's most miserable atmosphere. And I was laughing because at the time, again, I had played a lot of football five years, been to two Super Bowls. The next two years, we lost in the playoffs to the eventual NFC winner in Atlanta and Carolina. Flip those around, I believe, but you get what I'm saying. And I was like, man, it's crazy that we are going through this struggle and this strife intentionally and we're treated like absolute garbage by our head coach and the entire organization to win six games when like I've seen the other side. You know, I've yeah. been at the other side where there's music, there's fun, it's like and we were winning like crazy. Uh and, and it that made it very hard for me to really stomach, you know, putting up with the nonsense that was being spewed in Detroit that year, uh, just because, again, I had seen the other side and I had I'd been a Super Bowl champ and I had a general idea of what that culture was like and what we were trying to establish was not it. I'm not even to this day, I'm not sure what we were trying to do and clearly it didn't work out there, but it was nowhere near uh, what we had going in Seattle. Uh, Luke Wilson, I we
4: we, we got to run my man, but thank you so much for taking some time out. And, dude, the texts are flying in. So many people are happy to hear your voice again. You are one of the most loved Seahawks players, and, and we got to see it firsthand how awesome of a dude you are.
6: Appreciate it, Megs. I'm glad. Anytime you want me on, just let me know, and I'll be back living in Seattle in a couple months, man. I'll have to catch up. Let's play hockey. Let's
2: go! Let's
4: go! I know some college ah. kids that would like to get back out there on the ice with you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Luke. See Luke. Ya. Luke Wilson, former Seattle Seahawk. What a treat! I just love him all morning long celebrating the career of Pete Carroll. Fourteen years as head coach, and that has come to a close, and we're we're a little bit sad, but there's a lot to celebrate as well. We are going to chat with the host of Mitch Unfiltered, Mitch Levy, at eight seventeen.
0: The Daily Mix Show. The Daily Mix Show.
2: We're joining the Daily MIG show this morning, Rockaholics, to chat about the incredible 14-year career Pete Carroll had as our head coach of the Seattle Seahawks.
4: And I'm very excited to talk to our next guest because we talked about it last time when we had him on after the Seahawks season was done. And I'm very, very curious to see what he's thinking right now. The host of Mitch Unfiltered
1: himself, Mitch Levy. Mitch! I I noticed you didn't introduce me as a friend this time, so (laughs) we got that straight now. Yeah, back to acquaintances. Back to acquaintances. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think? Are you are you sad, Miggy? Yeah. You're a big you're a big Carol guy, right?
4: I'm a huge P. Carroll fan, and I'm super sad. I'm also excited. I mean, sometimes the change sucks, obviously, but three seasons yeah. have not gone well. I, I felt like something had to get done during the off season, whether it be the other coaches, some personnel, or whatever it may be. Uh, watching the press conference, that definitely tugged on my emotional heartstrings. Like you're just like, oh, are we making the right decision? But I, I guess I won't know until we find out who the next coach is going to be.
1: We talked about it, what was it, on Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Monday Monday. morning, um, your fourth show, so that makes this your fifth, sixth, seventh show, so I'm on four and seven, right? Okay, good, good. Um, You know, it was a big decision that the Seahawks and Jody Allen had to make, and it really comes down to whether you're satisfied with where they've been the last many years, which is a good not great, not super relevant in terms of the Super Bowl and winning world championships, but a team that's uh, very close, if not in the playoffs every year, are you okay with that? Or if you live in New York, Chicago, or a Philadelphia, are you not okay with that? And you risk bringing somebody in that doesn't work, that goes 4-13, and, and then you become a team that drafts very high, uh, but you take a shot at maybe making this into a a championship city again. So it really depends upon how you tilt your head. Uh, Migsy, you're the type of guy who uh, likes
2: 9 and 8.
0: Love it. settles for <laughs> not eight. You're yes. mediocre. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. In no,
1: yeah. all walks of life. Yeah, I love mediocrity.
2: <laughs> when things are just fine. Yeah. Fine. They're fine.
1: They're fine.
4: Do you think yeah. this decision was made because they feel like there's a certain coach that's available that they absolutely want?
1: No. No, I don't. Uh, I don't know that for sure. I'm right. certainly not a, uh, a liaison to Jody Allen. I, I was – look, I, I – you know this. I've been on your show, and I've been on our podcast talking about this for months. Change in my mind, change has been needed for a long time, and I don't think that Jody Allen's brother Paul Allen would have would have gotten to this point. I think he would have made a change, maybe last off season or sometime before now. I don't think we would have ever gotten to this point. So I'm I'm. But having said that, I'm surprised. I did not think this was coming. Um, I did not think Jody Allen would do this. I don't know who she surrounds herself with in terms of people to help her make these decisions. This is a surprise, and it's an interesting time, an interesting situation, because on one hand, this is the best job. You know, there's now eight eight NFL jobs available right now. I think it's eight. I may be wrong about that. I, th- I think it's eight. I think you're right. Coaches have been let go or fired in the last three days. And when you look at those eight cities, you look at the eight organizations. I don't think any of them really, maybe I'm biased, compares to what you got here in Seattle. It feels like, on one hand, we'll get to the other hand, the problem, the big problem that I think sits over the Seahawks. But in in one regard, Jody Allen, the Allen estate, unlimited amounts of money. There's no salary cap when you... When you hire coaches, it doesn't count against the salary cap. You can pay them whatever you want. On one hand, it feels to me like they can have anybody they want. You know, there's going to be eight teams that are vying for all these guys. You're going to hear all these guys' names, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson of the Lions. You're going to hear about six or seven guys, and they're all going to be interviewing at all eight places. And, again, I'm a little biased. I think the Seattle situation because of you know you're a nine and eight team you're not a five and 12 team you've got some nice pieces it's Seattle for God's sakes there's no there's no organization in the NFL that has better fan support you got the 12s you got I mean everything about Seattle to me reeks of they can have their their pick of whoever they yeah. want more than New England more than Atlanta more than all these other teams that's one hand here's the problem though that fights it the ownership of the team is clearly going to turn over. It's been widely thought and reported that the Allen estate, the directions of the estate is to sell the team. Everybody in the NFL knows this team is going to be sold at some point, probably not this year, maybe next year after 2024 season, the beginning of 2025, like a year from right now, like February or March. So that's a problem, I would think, for a head coach. I mean, l- let me throw it to you, Miggs. Let's assume you've got two or three offers. You're a coach. I mean, you don't look like a coach. I'm looking at you. There's nothing about you that looks like a coach. But no. I, have a, I have a notepad and a pen. So let's say you're, you go on. You're the hottest name, and you go on interviews to three or four of these teams. And let's say you get two or three offers. The Chargers offer you a bunch of money. I don't know. The Patriots offer you a bunch of money. The Falcons, uh, you know, offer you a bunch of money. The Seahawks offer you a bunch of money, right? If you think that the Seahawks are going to be sold next year, what do new owners traditionally do? the first thing they do when they get in the door. They hire their own guys. Is that a comfortable situation for you to be in to take a five-year deal with the Seahawks or a four-year or five-year deal with the Seahawks if if the Allens are going to sell the team a year from now and a new guy like Jeff Bezos or somebody's going to come in here and want his own guys, his own general manager, his own president, perhaps his own coach? Or do you pass on the Seahawks' offer and go somewhere else?
4: But when you think that though, if you're it. if you're equipped with a winning team, that they would just be like, you know what, we have a winning team. I don't want to I don't want to mess with that. No, I'm I'm walking into a great situation as a new owner.
1: How much of a winning team will they have? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. I and, mean, and, what you're, and what you're really saying is you're putting the pressure on me, or you in this case, the candidate, to come in. You're saying you better win the first year. Because if, if, if the owner's not coming into a winning situation, if you Migs don't win the first year, if they sell the team next year, are they coming into a winning situation? If you what, have, if, what, if, what if you come in and you look at this situation and you say, okay, we need a new quarterback. We need new players. We need to break this down a little bit. We need to build through the draft. We need some free agents, yada, yada, yada. But it's going to take you a year or two. You might have to take a step backwards to take two steps forward. Can you afford to take a step backward if there's new ownership coming in in 2025? That's a great question. I, I, I don't in answer certain- that. I,
4: who would you go with if you – okay, let's remove that that looming over it. But if you were yeah. Mitchie Allen once again, as we talked about last oh, week. Geez. Who, if you were going to – I
1: still don't see – I'm looking. I don't see the boat, but go ahead. Yes.
4: Who would you – who's the one that you would like, I would love to see that person coach the Seattle
1: Seahawks right now? Oh. I wish you asked me the opposite. Who don't I want to see them? Who okay. Who don't them? you want to see them? Jim Harbaugh. I saw yeah. that
4: name. Dude, I think Seahawks fans would lose their mind if that
1: happened. I, I I might seriously have to move. Yeah.
2: It would feel a little icky. It'd be icky.
1: Oh um, my a little? A little,
2: Karen, a, lot. a little?
1: You're being nice on, on show seven. If this were show seventy seven You would say not. You wouldn't use the word little. It'd be very, very icky. I don't want Jim Harbaugh. I don't know. I don't know that there's one guy because I'm a little torn about the type of coach. We talked about this on Monday with you guys. You could go with an offensive guy, a young offensive coordinator, maybe the guy from the Lions, let's say Ben Johnson, who's really well thought of. He's an offensive, young offensive guru, if you want to call him that. He's done great things with Dan Campbell and Jared Goff, and they're playing in the playoffs, and he's going to be a hot property. You could go with a young, but he's never been a head coach, and you really don't know what you're getting, and a lot of those guys fail. A lot of those guys who are great coordinators fail as head coaches, and then they go back and be great coordinators again. You can do that route. Or you can go with the name that a lot of people like, and I like, Dan Quinn, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: who John Schneider, who's going to be – if not the biggest voice, one of the biggest voices in, de- in determining who the next head coach is, has great respect for and has a great has a great history with Dan Quinn when he was here. He also was a head coach for the Falcons, so we know what he looks like as a head coach. He also took the Falcons, I believe, to the Super Bowl as a head coach. He's now gone back to be a defensive coordinator with the Cowboys, and he's done a great job with the Cowboys. In fact, he did such a great job with the Cowboys that he may have cost himself a job because there was thought that he would be the next Cowboys coach, but he did such a good job with their defense that they're such a high playoff team. Now they don't need a coach. They're not going to make a change. So there's that route. There's another guy named Raheem Morris, who was a coach, a head coach, a young head coach a few years ago that a lot of people think was probably too young. He wasn't quite ready yet. He's now the defensive coordinator of the Rams, Aaron Donald. And they're in the playoffs going to Detroit to face the Lions, and he's a hot name to give him a second chance, a second crack. So there's a number of different ways you can go. I don't know that I, at this moment, have a favorite, but I don't want Jim Harbaugh. Promise me this
3: (laughs) now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the troll in Mom. me wants to see that happen, but not really. That, that no. would be
4: awful. The that whole would,
2: city would implode, I feel like. This it is it just... would just
4: be awful. Well, Mitch, dude, thank you so much for jumping on. I know that you got crazy stuff going on, but we appreciate you being able to share some stuff and talk about this whole thing because it's a huge deal. Uh, Coach Carroll has been a part of the uh, Seattle Sports Fabric and just part of this community for 14 years.
1: Look, I said it on Monday, whether you think it's time for change or not, you have to step back and admire. He has been... The most important coach probably in Seattle sports history. He deserves all the accolades. He deserves to be in the Ring of Honor tomorrow. Maybe in the Football Hall of Fame. I don't know that he's quite there. But, uh, yeah, we all – and I and I say it on my podcast all the time. He made a fool out of a lot of us, including me. When they hired him, I was on, on KJR across the street saying this was the worst hire of all. There is no way – this could work. It can't work. It won't work. I gave him 50 games. I literally went on the air the day that he was hired. I said, you guys talk to me in 50 games. You'll be out the door. 14 years later, people are are still (laughs) listening to my podcast. They have no reason to listen to me after what I said about Pete Carroll 14 years ago. So, yeah, he made a fool out of all of us.
4: Right on, Mitch. Thank you so much. And again, check out Mitch Unfiltered. Episode 270 is out now wherever you get your podcast. Thanks a lot, man thanks guys take care
2: well there's a woman who has been accused of trying to poison her husband and it's all because a soap opera star told her to do so this story is completely insane and we're going to tell you about it after green day
1: The the daily mig show you
2: are listening to the daily mig show on the rock of seattle a woman in massachusetts is accused of trying to poison her husband after a scammer who was pretending to be the soap opera star Thorsten K. of The Bold and the Beautiful, of course. That
4: sounds like such a a soap opera actor name. That or an adult film star.
2: Thorsten K. Thorsten. Well, apparently, this scammer pretending to be Thorsten K. told her to do this. Her name is Roxanne Doucette, and she is charged with... That also sounds like a soap
4: opera name. (laughs) You're right. Right?
2: You're right. Charged with attempted murder.
4: I always, you know, whenever you get like these little spam emails, I don't know, you guys get, I don't know if you, I get them every day, I feel like there's something that wants you to click on something I'm like, who is so dumb to click on these things? Of course, the joke is, you know, like the, the the prince that has a bunch of money that he wants to give you like, who's so stupid to do that? But then you hear a story like this, you're like, well, that's even dumber. Like somebody believed that a soap opera star is is talking to them, just randomly pick somebody out of the blue and I'm going to start flirting with you. But. Your husband's in the way.
2: Oh, God. Well, here are some of the neighbors talking and speculating about what happened after they heard the news. Like a lifetime movie. Yeah, when I saw the picture, I was like, oh my gosh, Ridge from Bold and Beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I reading right now? This cannot be real. What did she use? You know, was it rat poisoning? Was, you know, gosh, it's like scary. <laughs> I mean, that's. Is- <laughs> Have you ever been scammed? I have not. I think my, I have a sister that got scammed. I think my dad once got scammed. Wait, the
4: national treasure the got national scammed? The national treasure. How so?
2: Well, he was looking at an Evite invitation that had come up and there was something in the middle that said like, click here for whatever.
4: Did he get that email invite from, sorry, dad <laughs> BJ? Cause that happened just recently with him.
0: <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, my dad uh, sent out an email to many people, and I want to just say I didn't fall for it, but my brother did. I checked when the email was sent. It was like at two in the morning.
4: Like, why is he getting up just sending Evites? Also, why is he sending Evites out in 2024? Who's using Evites?
0: I
2: don't know. My
4: dad falls for scams. All the time.
2: And I've now told my parents, like, if you get any correspondence from something that looks fishy, please pick up the phone and call me. Do not click anything until we have had a chat.
4: My dad's the one that would be like the, hey, don't open that attachment from me. I've been hacked again. I'm like, you haven't been <laughs> hacked. I mean, I guess kind of. You, you keep clicking on things because you don't know how social media works. Yeah. He's that guy. Like, he'll always send the chain letters. He'll always send that. It, it cracks me up. Like, you know, it's just like. Oh, here here we go again. And my friends will be like, hey, I got a weird message from your dad. I'm like, don't open it. Just ignore it. He's going to eventually put up a post on his Facebook saying, don't open it. I know exactly what's
2: going on. Our poor parents. We got to watch out for them. How would you like a shot at beating Steve Rockaholics? He is currently nine and four in 2024. 206-803-ROCK. We will play Beat Migs at 847. But earlier this morning... We played a Foo Fighters Pete Carroll remix. And I'm telling you, we are getting request after request to hear this song. So we're going to do it right now.
7: The Daily Mix Show. I'm so proud, fellas. I'm so proud that we be able to stand together
8: right here at this moment. You can't believe it. You kept fighting. You kept calling and scratching. And look what you're this. Put that freaking trophy up together. <laughs> It took all day long, all but 22 seconds, fellas, to get this thing done. But you know what? You still gotta snap it. You still gotta catch it. You still gotta hold it. You still gotta. Hey. It. Everybody had to hang all day long. The defense, the defense did a fantastic job today, fellas. Congratulations, NFC Champions. Fellas, that's here one time. NFC Champions! You know, there's a lot of cool stuff here, but let me tell you something. Something we should really be proud of. Say heck of a day. Say heck of a day. It's so hard to get this done. The elements we're about is challenging to get, we'll never ever play another game like that. Everybody, your attitude about it, your attitude about it was so freaking strong. You were so right about it. Let's make sure we take this to the next step now. You know, also, let me mention this. We've got to give back to this, this fans. The the, the 12s are unbelievable. Can you imagine how, 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 we've just energized the entire Northwest with, with what's happened today. They've been great to us all year long. Let's never forget that. Let me ask you a question. Can you win the game in the first quarter? No! Can you, the... no. 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 you win the game? Hell no! Hell oh. no! Hell no! no! Can you win the game in the fourth quarter? No. No. Close as we are right now, we will never be separated this moment. You know? so guys, did it. let's make sure we always remember that. The 12 are here. They're so strong. The whole area. You just share this room with everybody. You show what it is to
0: believe in one another. So we should be very, very grateful for the guys in this room. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,